No, Rob. Editing a Wikipedia page is definitely vandalism. But let me ask you something. Sure. Describe to me how Wikipedia comes to be without vandalism. (sighs) I've read a lot of useful things that have been properly cited on Wikipedia, as the two sentences I wrote were both properly cited. Welcome back to Berlin Game and Park. This is, of course, the official Topper podcast. We are coming at you live, live once again from the intersection of Berlin Game and Park in lovely Berlin Game, California. Berlin Game Avenue and Park. Oh my goodness. Boys, what an intro that was. Rob Kaplan, it's so good to have you. Park's an avenue, by the way. Is Park and Avenue? I don't think so. Did you say Park Avenue? It's, it's, I believe it's, it's just Park. It's I think. Burlingame Avenue and Park Street. Yeah, according that's to exactly. That, I thought that's what I yeah. said. No. Yeah, maybe. That no. may have been what you said. Roll, roll the tape. <laughs> <laughs> Should we tell the fine listeners at home? Yes. Where to edit your edits? Sure. <laughs> it, so, if you want to look up California dials on on Wikipedia, there was a paragraph on modern examples of California dials. And Worn and Wound just did an article that featured our lovely uh, Pacific Dial as the cover photo on Modern Examples. Shout out friends of the pod, Worn and Wound. So I thought that for those wanting to learn about California Dials, they should know that the the Fear is Topper Series 2 had a different twist on California Dials. We did not bring the California dial back. We are a drop in the California Dial ocean, (laughs) an insignificant speck in the stars of the world of California dolls. But every time we've done one, we are, of course, a retailer in Burlingame, California. Yes. We, we, that story has been told and yes. retold, and I feel like we, it becomes we are perhaps, part of the subterfuge. We are perhaps the most meta users of the California dial that, that we can lay claim to, but that's about it. <laughs> Uh, and contradicting his brother. We, we, all, in get, the... we all get two uh, challenges. And <laughs> if, if you're challenges. right, Russ, you're not going to get charged to What color out. is the flag that you throw if you want to challenge? It's red? Red. Red flag, yeah. That's a, that's, that's a different red flag, thing, yeah. I think. I was thinking... It's not what? a warning sign, it's a challenge. But yeah. You can't okay. say red flag, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, Russ Kaplan, great to have you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm over here in the blue corner. <laughs> the blue corner. Well, I said red because you were throwing the red flags to challenge, but, you know, we can... Maybe too meta for this they, amount of coffee that we've had today. They throw uh, red flags in the blue <laughs> corner, too. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, my name, of course, is Zachary Pena. It's great to have you. Thank you, as always. Kind of nice to be back here in the office, in the store, in the hive, so to speak, surrounded by some California dials. And I thought we could dive right into it, sort of on the heels of the California conversation. I feel like a wrist check is probably in order. Russ, what are you wearing? I have, <laughs> just because of this conversation on, I have the Fears Whiteout watch. On, That's exactly which right. definitely has a California dial. Quite pleased with this watch. And listener, Russ was actually wearing this watch half an hour ago. He didn't just put it on as we started talking about this. I will say, again, I love California dials. And we're going we're gonna to talk about a California dial that is dropping uh, about 24 hours before this podcast airs. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. I think the Fears is one of the best three-dimensional examples of a California dial that there is. And also, it's one of the most faithful in the sense that the Rolex bubble back, the original, going back to Rob's story about the prototype, was sort of a, it was a circle in a square kind of a case design, was it not? It was similar to those early Panerai's, or did Panerai do the circle in the square? That's okay. It's a little bit of conjecture here. The Fears also takes that circle in a square design, mixes in these numerals, again, Topper being a California retailer. Circle in a cushion. Circle and a cushion. This is a brilliantly cohesive watch. And uh, again, shout out to you boys for putting this together. Shout out to Fears, uh, to Nicholas at Fears, of course. 
really lovely, lovely specimen. About about this watch, um, so all of the whiteouts and all of the Pacifics have been delivered. Thank you for your patience, Winter Lake and Snowden, people who have reserved the watch. We've been told the Snowden dials are shipping, I believe, next week Couple to weeks. us. Yeah, soon. And then I think Winter Lake is going to, the, the, the remaining Winter Lakes, they're, the, Nicholas has incredibly high standards. I think mm-hmm. he has 10 more Winter Lakes yeah, yeah. that are yet to be delivered. That should come a week or two after that. And let's not forget, agree, thank you for your patience, listener. If you ordered one of these, I can promise you these watches are well worth the wait. Fierce doesn't make that many watches, and Nicholas is apparently, he's a persistent uh, thorn in the side of any dial manufacturer in a sense that he has extremely high standards, and we love him for that. And also, you know, these dials are, we talked a little bit about this in an earlier episode in our interview with Nicholas, we can put that in the show notes, but these dials are quite complicated to make, and making them at scale, I think, has been challenging. But either way, well I know I know it involves... Building the dial in Germany, sending the dial in Switzerland to have a special person or a company fill the loom in 3D. And then after that's done, they go back to England. And yeah. I know that it's very Yeah, no, it's very and complicated. It's, and it's not just it's not just the base of the dial and the color of the dial, but it's also the three dimension out, like the diamond cut markers right. that also have to be filled with looms. Anyway, it's quite a lot going on there. Worth the wait. Super cool watch. Russ, thank you for sharing. Rob, what's on your wrist? <laughs> I am actually, I was wearing actually the watch that Russ is uh, wearing today, yesterday, but today I'm wearing my old comforting friend, the just a 300MC Master on on mesh, which I've worn it before on One several of my pods, but this is probably my favorite daily wear Omega. I'm not sure there's a better daily wear watch in existence, just in terms of do all the things, go anywhere, do anything mm-hmm. with the dive bezel. Love it as it gets. Love it. And it's the black dial. And it's the black dial. I'm wearing kind of a special watch today. And I'm going to tell this. I think I'm going to tell this story now. I'm a little embarrassed by this story, but I'm going to tell it now. And then we'll circle back on California dials and some other new stuff that's coming in shortly. Rob, have you ever lost a watch? I have misplaced a watch (laughs) for half a presidential administration, but I've never (laughs) lost a watch. So I was wearing a, a rather nice watch. And I ended up getting another watch. And when I got the other watch, I put this relatively nice watch that I was wearing in the box of the nice watch that I got so I could wear the nice watch that day, That this being a Grand Seiko Mist Flake. But I put a different watch in the box and forgot that I had put it in the box. So A different a, Grand Seiko, by the way. A different, <laughs> a different Grand Seiko. That's, oh, that's just the watch that huh. I, you know have my daughter's uh, like baby pictures wearing. Sure. It's like my, one of my favorite all-time watches. Oh, I actually haven't heard this story. Okay. Yeah. And so... <laughs> He's very proud of right. it. It's maybe your most sentimental and, watch that I know of. Yes, Kirazuri. Okay. And so this watch was sitting on my... that This box was was sitting on a, a table in, in my dining room for a very long period of time. And my wife really wanted me to take it to work with my other boxes. I did. And... I didn't realize. Wait, wait, wait. So you moved it with the intent to take it to work and then forgot to take it to work. And yes. how long was it just out of your, yeah. out of mind? This box with this beautiful Kirazuri in it was probably sitting in, in my house randomly for like, I don't know, six months, nine months. Sounds about right. And That's how stuff gets lost though. Like we, we are, we're such creatures of habit. Anytime you break the routine, even if you move around a fair bit, you put like, I've, I've noticed this with like, I don't lose my keys because my keys are always in the exact, 
always in the exact same spot. Always, always, always. There's a few things that you like use every day or use pretty often that always get returned to the same spot. And anytime something like that, no matter how sentimental, gets put in a slightly different spot right. than before, especially in a box, yeah, it's gone. It might as well be gone. Yeah, but you found it. Thank God. Thank God, I found it <laughs> when I when I ultimately opened the box. I was incredibly surprised. <laughs> oh my gosh, Russ, have you ever lost a watch? Lost. Lost, probably not, misplaced several historical topper watches. Anyways, and we had found these things. Wait, there are topper badged watches there out are. there? We found huh. these things moving. Like 60s, 70s. Yeah, Whoa. 60s, not 70s, I don't Whoa. think. Anyways, and they're, they were, they're cool looking. Anyways, these watches, we had found them in some old things when we had moved the store. And Rob had them in a plastic bag. And I think at some point Rob moved, or I can't remember why, but Rob, at some point, apparently delivered the plastic bag to me and said, here, you hold on to it. And I, and I think I sort of said, okay, fine. And I carefully put them away someplace or another in my house and promptly both of us forgot what had happened with it. <laughs> and at some point he said, I think you have it. I said, no, I think you have it. Anyways, and it remained lost for a year and a half or two years and I was cleaning out a drawer and I said, oh my God. Mm -hmm. So that's that's when they all showed up again. So I was happy to see them because I don't think they were replaceable. That's a good feeling. Those are definitely not replaceable. And also, listener, if you want to see Topper return to making our own watches, podcast at topperjewelers.com. <laughs> we want to hear your ideas. You know, what's funny, what I'm hearing from both of you and also this kind of echoes my own story is that like, we don't have cool stories of like, hey, I was scuba diving off the Great Barrier Reef and I lost my Submariner and then like a snorkeler found it 20 years later encrusted in barnacles. Oh yeah, my God, I do have a story like that. Do you really? I do. You do I just not. remembered. All I right. do. Well, it's not, I mean, it's not that cool. Okay. But in college, the tag Hoyer I've talked about yeah, yeah, yeah. as my first watch, yeah, yeah. I was skiing at Sugar Bowl and it fell off my wrist. It like the band broke and it came off of my wrist. And I was like distraught and a ski patrolman found it and actually brought it to lost and found. And I no got it back. Way. I, this, this was a, a gold plated series 3000 tech Hoyer from so the mid eighties. Watches of that era, if they were on resin or like rubber, you know, softer straps, I'm, if that like fluoelastane or whatever. This that was a metal is. bracelet. Oh, it was a metal bracelet. This was, okay. this was just okay. your basic tag okay. Hoyer. Because I know. Bracelet. Okay, so what I was what I was going to say was a lot of part of the reason why a lot of straps nowadays are made of the materials they are is because a lot of those earlier materials they actually degrade to a point where they kind of just yeah. melt almost. Yeah. And I actually pulled one of my earliest watches from memory. My dad gave me back when I was sixteen or seventeen was a quartz analog digital freestyle watch, which was freestyle was kind of a surf brand that was sold a lot of dive shops and my dad spent a lot of time in dive shops and so he gave me that it came on like a you know one of whatever a, a not rubber you know neither rubber nor plastic strap and i pulled the watch out of a drawer a couple weeks ago and the strap had fully detached from the case and as i pulled the strap out of the little bag it just crumbled in my hands like crumbled into little pieces like it wow. completely returned to the material probably been sitting in the drawer for you know five or ten years or whatever but uh anyway the reason I've been asking about lost things is I, back during, in 2020, so before 2020, this, this goes back to 2018, 2019, I think, JLC introduced the Geophysic, which is kind of a tribute to the Geophysic year in 1958, which is a lot of scientific watches came out. A lot of watches were introduced sort of in that mid-century period to support scientific research that was happening during the geophysic year, which was the collaboration of many nations across the world that were sort of 
doing global mind share of sorts to learn more about the planet, its resources, and all of these kinds of things. So a lot of really interesting engineering type science driven watches came out during that period. I'm not a scientist or an engineer, but I, I sort of love the story and I always really love the geophysic has very interesting lug design. It has, you know, Russ, you're kind of a big fan of that mid-century modern kind of design aesthetic. And this watch sort of encapsulates that. So I also loved the true second, which is the deadbeat seconds complication that JLC does. Not many brands do it, um, I um, made fun of uh, watch diversion during an earlier <laughs> yes. podcast because he was wearing like his uh, incredible right. Arnold and Son right. uh, deadbeat watch. And I was like, this is an elaborate like faking of a quartz watch. That's exactly what it is. I and love I, I love calling deadbeats <laughs> fake quartz watches. And the first time I wore my geophysic into the store, the steel geophysic into the store, I was quite happy that I had it. That was the first thing you said about it. It was like, that's a nice fake quartz watch. <laughs> I recommend that. it if you ever find yourself yeah, that's very true. with someone flexing their deadbeat. That's very so, true. I It's know, such a cool get a complication laugh. because, you know, I always say, well, I don't always say this, but I do in the back of my mind. I think we should say collectively that like you shouldn't buy a watch for the movement. But I think the movement expresses sort of how you either see the world in a certain way. And I think like the deadbeat seconds. Again, listener, a deadbeat second is an automatic movement. However, the watch ticks as though it's a quartz movement. It hits all of the 60-second markers exactly. So the reason for this, too, again, with the geophysic year, if you needed to measure timing to the second or exact, you know, with some level of precision, you know, an automatic watch technically as it sweeps the second's hand at some point, you know, at any given moment, it is between two of those markers. And so it's just a precision thing. So anyway... Super nerdy complication. It's a very complicated way to make a, a complicated, expensive thing look very cheap. <laughs> it's short. But I love what that sort of expresses, and uh, it was always kind of my favorite watch. Anyway. Some some company has to come out with um, a deadbeat school wall clock, <laughs> so it looks like a quartz, like totally generic school clock, but it's actually and it ticks. a deadbeat. That would be insane. And who makes them? So Arnold & Son has one. I know there's a uh, the Austrian company. Where's Wikipedia when we know? Oh, my goodness. Who was the? Habring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Habring, Habring has uh, yeah. the Irwin, I believe. The Irwin or the Felix? The Irwin. It's the Irwin. Uh, I know our website. web designer, who's and also named Irwin, was very touched when shout out Irwin. one of those. We had up. one of those in TPOS a while yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. That watch is interesting because that's a deadbeat seconds complication off a re-engineered Valaju, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Richard Habring, who is the, the man behind that brand, uh, spent a ton of time as one of the engineers at IWC. So he kind of knows the Valaju inside and out from that experience. Anyway, he reverse engineered a Valaju to make it a deadbeat seconds hand on a three-hander. Quite interesting. JLC did not do that. This was a new movement when this watch was introduced. Anyway, all this to say, I loved this watch a lot. It was kind of my most sentimental piece. I sort of stupidly sold it. And then about six or eight months after that, I bought it again in 2019. So I had owned it twice at at that point. And then COVID hit. And I was writing for a blog to watch at the time. And, you know, we were all kind of just hunkered down wearing sweatpants the whole time. And as just sort of a thought experiment and also to write a story for a blog to watch, I decided to wear my geophysic for just as long as I felt like it. And then I would just write a story about it. The story's on the internet. I'll put it in the show notes. But it is kind of just about observing time, observing the tick. One thing that's quite cool about this watch and and other Deadbeat Seconds watches is that you can hear the ticka, 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 ticka of the automatic movement. Mm -hmm. And you can also hear the tick, tick, tick. Listener Russ is putting the watch up to his ear. He's listening. He's nodding. Do you hear the ocean? (laughs) 
He hears a man ordering lunch from DoorDash. <laughs> so it's quite interesting how it sounds. Didn't anyway. like his order. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I wore the watch for a month or two months. I can't remember. Again, we'll put the story in the show notes. And it very quickly kind of became my most sort of sentimental piece. It was kind of my companion throughout COVID. I did a photo shoot using that watch as a prop with some other larger props in late 2020. And in the chaos of Thanksgiving and the photo shoot, at the time I was we were kind of moving spaces a little bit. I was transitioning away from a home studio to like something that was a little more dedicated. And somewhere along the lines, that watch, my most like treasured watch disappeared. The geophysic disappeared completely. And unlike your stories, it never reappeared. And I don't actually, I, I have a few theories on where it ended up. I think because some of the things that I was shooting on that shoot, it's possible, Rob, to your story about like putting something back where it doesn't actually belong and then thinking you'll remember it later and you don't. I put it in a box. I may have shipped that box back. <laughs> and part of me thinks that like, and Rob, I remember you, you kind of, I remember I called you about this and I was like, Rob, have you ever lost a watch? And we talked about this. You told me some nice stories about losing things in the safe that may or may not have been true just to, just to make oh, me no, feel I'm better. sure they were all true. <laughs> they were yeah, all true. everything's always turned up. Everything's always turned up. This hasn't turned up, and I still think it will. I have, you know, I have the serials recorded, and we did all due diligence. I have plenty of photographs of it and all that, but uh, has not turned up. That was the steel version. And then late last year, one of these popped up on the forums because I have alerts going. I still have alerts from 2020 for geophysic and various things. But it was the rose gold version that popped up. But what was interesting about it is I was looking at the photos quite closely. You know, late last year, precious metal is is falling kind of in value, or at least on the secondary with this particular model. It's older. It's not really in demand. It's quite nerdy. It was already priced pretty aggressively. But clearly from the photographs, it was in good condition, but it needed a service because the hour markers were uh, like the dial had been rotated somehow, I think probably during shipping or something like that. It's quite neat. There's, there's the, little applied luminous plots on the chapter ring. They're not on the dial itself. And on the original geophysics, so like the were actually, whole dial was turned? No, I, I don't think it was the dial. I think it was the chapter ring was rotated. On the originals, the loom plots were actually applied to the underside of the crystal. And then they to get that effect, they put them on the, on the chapter ring instead. Anyway... So I, I messaged the seller and I was like, yo, you haven't moved this watch in six months. It clearly needs a service based on your own photos that <laughs> maybe he was not even aware of. So I got it for a song. I now have a geophysic again. It just came back from service like last week. And looks uh, fantastic. Yeah, it looks look amazing. Good. I put it again on a green strap. Also, so stainless steel geophysic was on a green strap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Of course it was. It's probably still floating around. Out I there just realized something. Yeah. I really want one of our brands to do a deadbeat. We should. We've never. We we've never it. sold a deadbeat. I just sold you on the deadbeat complication. Yeah. Just in my my rant. Just yeah. Now I want to think about so the cool. concept of time. And again, not to get too sort of deep in our own weeds here, but there is going back to COVID and seeing something tick. There is something very like. There's something that I really love about this and also about the 9F, about Grand mm -hmm. Seiko 9F watches that I also really love. It has this sort of assurance to the, the specific measurement of time that you can kind of, I don't know, there's there's all these ways to sort of wax poetic on it, I think. But it's a fun complication. There aren't very many of them. I don't know how many brands make them. I mean, we, again. We should consult we, Wikipedia. <laughs> we should consult Wikipedia. We know of three. I, Longa might? Does Longa have one? Yeah, Arnold's I've never seen anyway. one. That's what I'm wearing today. Very happy to have it back. It is in rose gold. Uh, if you've seen a stainless steel geophysic, this is a story that I was too ashamed to tell for very for too long. 
made peace with it now that this is sort of back on my wrist. But uh, anyway, thanks for listening. We do have that. I can promise you that is not the entirety of the podcast, but thanks boys for listening to me. That was very, have a great week. Everyone. Kind of a, <laughs> it turns out by the way, cause I'm looking at Wikipedia. There's a deadbeat TV series, but go ahead. <laughs> that was a little bit of a trauma dump, sort of a therapy session. So thank you. I appreciate that. Burlingame and park is a uh, therapy now. As we get back to what we sort of started the hour with. California Dials. California Dials. Thank you, Rob. I have in front of me a California Dial from Chopek. This is actually super cool. It's really cool to see kind of, again, going back to what you're saying about Nomos, looking at the fears on Russ's wrist, talking about the Panerai, the Rolex. The expression of the California Dial in this Chopek as a chronograph is actually really quite cool. This particular chronograph, I mean, if you haven't handled the Chopek, the movement architecture is truly second to none. I mean, these are watches that you could wear backwards, as some folks do, just to show off the movement. Uh, we have beautifully hand-painted dial with the Roman numerals at the top half of the dial and the Arabics in the bottom half. This is the, uh, I believe, the 1426. Rob, do you want to say that in French for me? I'm, I'm, I'm good. It's the, <laughs> the Fauberg. Would it be bad? It's the it is the Fauberg. Because on Wikipedia, if we just take one second and go back to deadbeat for a second. Please do. Because I wanted to read this. It's This is the description of what a deadbeat control is yeah. computer is kind of interesting. I love it. A problem in discrete control theory of finding an optimal input sequence that will bring the system output to a given set point in a finite number of time steps. So you can contemplate that when you want to wax wow. philosophically about it. It's a heady, very heady way of saying it ticks once per second exactly on the marker every 60 seconds. Finite. <laughs> Counts out till 60. I guess but what very- that means is the deadbeat is set to one second but it could theoretically it could be, be set to something it else. It could be set to something else. That's a good point. Oh, that's a good point. So it's regulated to, to set. Yeah, to exactly. Set. Oh, it's a finite number of... Huh. St- anyways. Oh, I like that. <laughs> it is called deadbeat. I believe this particular watch is called true second, technically. I think they've called it true second probably because putting deadbeat on the dial was maybe... <laughs> <laughs> I like deadbeat on my... Be that as it may. Talking about an oxymoron Yeah, watch. exactly, exactly. So what we need to do, Rob, what I'm hearing is a California dial with a deadbeat second would just be all the meta jokes in one place. <laughs> Podcast at topofjewelers.com <laughs> if you want to reach out. But in addition to the chop bag, I think one of the one of the watches that we're actually quite excited to see is a sequel to the Bremont X Bamford Supermarine. This is a super cool collab that was introduced, I believe, in 2022. Back in 2022, it was the S500, so it was kind of the standard dive watch with the triptych case, crown at 2 o'clock, very distinctly Bremont. Bamford, of course, being kind of a high-end customizer, essentially, also based in the UK. Sandwich-style dial, California dial, so Arabics, again, at the lower half, Roman numerals at the top half, I believe. Mm -hmm. But what made it cool, again, being a sandwich, is that you had a singular loom plate. So most traditional watches... Kind of going back to what you were saying about the California dial that you do with Fears, those are diamond cut applied markers on the dial. And then within the diamond markers, there are little troughs essentially that loom is hand painted into each of the markers to create sort of a luminous three-dimensional look. With a sandwich dial, you have essentially two plates. The lower plate is a fully luminous disc and the upper plate is has cutouts, little apertures for each of the hour markers, essentially holes for each of the hour markers. So that's how the 2022 edition was done. It was done with a loom, with a blue, a blue, a Bamford blue loom disc. Russ Bamford blue is a little bit darker. It's a little more navy. <laughs> Russ is an expert on all things blue, respectfully so. <laughs> but the new edition, which is 
Listener, by the time you hear this, this watch will be out. It will have launched yesterday. It's a sequel to that Bamford edition, now in green. Still sandwich style, still California dial, nicknamed Aurora after the Aurora Borealis. But this is a GMT now. Rob, this is what was your first impressions of this watch when you saw it? I love uh, sandwich dials. I think first saw them in, in Panerai in the early 2000s. I remember that's when I first started seeing them. Omega has experimented with them with mm-hmm. the, the 300s in both sort of watches that look like sandwich dials and then ones that actually are sandwich dials. I think that the color scheme is is great. And something about the way that Bamford does that, like the the brushing, their brushed finish yep. that I especially like. So Agree. what's interesting to me about this piece is you've got that sort of dominating loom, but also really conservative matted black kind of working together. So I haven't held the watch. I've only seen the photos, but the photos look very good to me. This is a super cool piece. Also very limited. The 2022 one sold out very quickly. I would have to imagine this is going to go quickly as well. What makes this cool is this like, it's this brilliant bright green. You can kind of, it's visible from across the room. Fun fact, the year 2024 is essentially going to be one of the best years to see the Aurora Borealis uh, in several decades, I believe, uh, just with the position of the, the Earth and the Sun. It is going to put the Northern Lights closer and potentially at a higher intensity levels than... Because usually you have to go quite far north to be able to yeah. see them or to get a good view. They may be visible to more parts of the, of the planet uh, later this year. So... If you have any vacation plans headed north to Canada or to Sweden or <laughs> somewhere around the rim of the Arctic Circle, it's going to be, a, you may not have to go quite as far north this year to see it. Very cool inspiration on this watch, though. And I just want to point something out, because actually this question was posed to me recently, was the luminosity of a sandwich dial versus, you know, a dial like what's on Russ or Rob's wrist. So, Rob, you're wearing a Seamaster 300, which has the little discs, which, again, like what I was saying about Russ's, Russ's watch earlier, the, the hourly markers are applied to the dial itself. So little, they have little feet, they're applied to the dial itself, and then each of the markers are filled with loom. With this Bramont being a disc, you get this kind of consistency in the loom across the whole, it's just a plate. So oftentimes with a hand-applied loom or machine-applied loom, I believe, I believe I've seen images of the Omega, and and listeners can maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I've seen images and videos of how they make some of their dials. Some of them, I think a human does it, and others, it's like a a machine kind of eyedropper situation. What's cool about these types of sandwich dials, though, is you get like an evenness with the loom underneath, which also looks quite cool. And you're right, it was kind of a Panerai thing. It's cool to see it kind of applied in, in in other realms. But what makes the Bramont exciting, I think, is that whereas Panerai and many brands tend to do the stencils or the apertures for the markers quite thin. These are almost oversized, so you get this like super bold, high contrast, luminous look. And then, of course, the rotating bezel is loomed on the lower half as well. So this is a super punchy watch. You Russ, know, what are your thoughts on it's this? It's interesting. I also think this is a good, solid example of something we've talked about before that I see. And I can give you a contrasting watch with, with a rather different approach to this. This is when you talk about the Aurora Borealis in this watch, this isn't a reflection. It's not exactly the thing. It's inspired by the thing as opposed to being a reflection of the thing. So, for example, Zenith has a woman's watch that's in the colors of the Aurora Borealis that's literally called that. And that watch is much more a picture of the thing as opposed to this, which is just simply taking the idea and sort of having it 
I don't know. It's sort of a meta version of it, I guess, if you want. Yeah. How on the nose um, do watchmakers choose to make their designs when thinking of a thing? Yeah, and we definitely get a range of this. Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, I think in this instance, George Bamford just wanted to drive a Range Rover around in Iceland or wherever (laughs) wherever they shot this. Shout out. Uh, Respect. I would have wanted to do the same thing. Images turned out When do we get to do this? (laughs) Yeah, I'm in. Exactly. I mean, the Aurora is is absolutely no stranger to any kind of inspiration. It's cool. The best I got, by the way, is to drive a Subaru around Tahoe, which wasn't that bad, (laughs) but just saying. Have you guys seen the Aurora before? Never. Never. Oh, interesting. Have you seen it? I have, yeah. Have you? Always wanted to. Yeah. I've never seen it. It's very cool. I'm from northern Michigan, not the Upper Peninsula, but northern Michigan, and I've seen it a few times, a few winters where negative 10 or negative 15 degrees cool. out, and it's two in the morning, and my dad would wake us up and be like, yeah. come out and see it, and we'd we'd all bundle up and scramble outside and go up on a ladder up onto the roof and look at the lights. I've seen them red, and I've seen them green, and the red is really crazy because it's not like a color, like... It's not like a color you've ever seen in any photos of the Aurora. They traditionally they traditionally are blue yeah. or what, purple. When or I think of the viewing experience of really seeing it, I imagine people going much more north in Michigan. Yes. If is does it look like really far away when you see it from Michigan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, yes and no. Michigan's fairly north. Again, if I'm going back to what, you know, we're seeing about the about the timing, those memories that I have were probably the last time <laughs> the conditions were optimal for it to come down that low. The memories are mostly of it being too late at night and it's too cold and they're moving. They do look close because there's movement in them, which is really kind of hard to describe until you're standing there and seeing it. And it makes you feel kind of dizzy because you're standing in place, but it feels like the sky is moving back and forth. There's these waves to it. And it's it's you're, really amazing. And you, I, I, I would urge anybody this year just to say like, Go somewhere far north when it's still cold and gets dark early because you'll have good odds. You kind of need a balance. I was, so probably I was, like Upper Canada would be a Upper great Canada, place. Alaska, yeah. Sweet, um, right? They say there's all kinds of Northern Lights tourism in Fairbanks. And actually a friend of mine was just mm-hmm. there a couple of weeks ago in Fairbanks, Alaska, and it was minus 30 or 40 degrees or something. And similar to people who were flocking to Death Valley when it was 100 and whatever it was, 120, 130 degrees last year or two years ago. The opposite. People were going to Fairbanks because it was so cold. And also because the northern lights were super close. It was super cold. I think it's worth the trip. You bundle up. You see it. It is truly kind of a, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a once in a lifetime experience because they're happening you know, throughout the world often. We in California maybe don't get that luxury. It's not quite north enough. My wife and I were skiing in Alaska, which is just south of Anchorage in early January. And the hotel has Aurora Borealis wake up calls. And there are there are forecasts that are published in the hotel and on the on the hotel's website where they can tell you like you know tonight it's kind of cloudy tomorrow night there's a high chance and you can sort of read the forecast and if the forecast gets over a certain threshold they will wake you up and you can huh. go out on your balcony that's cool that particular zone it was super cloudy the whole time we were there and i was also just like i don't know if we want a phone call at three in the morning but <laughs> it's worth it if it happens but these types of places you know i would love to go to lapland and other places kind of in uh that are known for, for the viewing. Anyway, shout out to Bamford and to Bremont. This is a super cool collab edition. I think people are really going to like this piece. Uh, I'm psyched to shoot it. I think we have one coming and we're going to be able to photograph. It's Friday. exciting. So. This watch in the Viper, which actually was delayed almost eight, nine months, I think were both really good creative pieces out of Vermont. So Completely those, those, those have been my two favorite Vermonts in probably... 
since 2020. Totally agree. Um, I the, the st- and and Bremont's always done this well, but the watches both have a very strong point of view, mm-hmm. and I think that's crucial. What do you like? What is it about the Viper that you love? I love that the finish of the orange of the case is so like I don't know, almost visceral. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. you just really are taken over by looking at the orange, mm-hmm. whereas I'm used to looking at the orange in the middle layer of a triptych case mm-hmm. of the barrel. And I love how just high visibility the hands are, having both hands be striped. It's just, it looks like what you would imagine Martin Baker, yep. you know, cooking up. It, it like mirrors the ejection seat in a, in a, in a much more literal way yep. than I think the MB series had to that yep. point. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely much, much more tooly looking. Yep. It, it looks is. like a, the, it, like it looks like the thing you'd wear if you were pulling down yeah. the ejection. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but well, I, it's, it's based off of the shock carriage that they built to strap the watch to the ejection seat to test the watches for ejection. So it's based off of like, so it kind of already looks very instrumental or like an instrumentation of some kind. And then they yeah, put a watch close, dial almost, That's what happens when it was an instrument. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> almost exactly. in a way, like a be- it's like different, but like, yep. a, like a Bell and Ross dials out yeah. of a French Broussard instrument panel. Yeah. From that, a Broussard plane, is that right? Yeah, nailed so, it. Uh, That's exactly it. It's, but, it. But anyway. And it's kind of it's kind of like their Ploprof a little bit. It's this like weird, too weird to... Mm-hmm. What was what's the Hunter S. Thompson? Too weird to die. To one of God's own prototypes. To shout out to fr- quote, I can't shout out either. to friend of the show Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from the Beyond. Oh my gosh! I'm gonna have to put the quote in the show notes. It feels like the it feels like the Ploprof to me a little bit in a sense. It's here's this weirdo prototype situation that got turned into this super cool like production yeah. piece. Anyway. Very cool to see those. So this this looks more like yes. this. This does not look like a prototype. <laughs> no. This is like Bamford's yep, high style. Yeah, you know. So very cool. Anyway, I think it's going to be a big year for Bremont. Well, supposedly the new CEO, uh, whose name I can never say, uh, Davide, yeah. is uh, coming out with a pilot line mm-hmm. that is his first beginning to end creation, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Maybe we'll get him in the store later later this year I for a Vermont so. event. He's the one who really gave life to the Tudor Black Bay. And not just that, he's responsible for the Tudor Black Bay. And this is when the Black Bay before Tudor was even available in the US. And now Right. Yeah. I mean that watches. So we'll we'll see what he we'll see what he can do. Start to finish. It'll be in because Vermont doesn't have the historical catalog that Tudor did, right? So when he did the Tudor, he was able to really look at historical Tudors from the 60s and 70s and think, how am I going to redo this? But Vermont really started in the early 2000s and, you know, with the English brothers off of their design. So it'll be interesting to see how much he chooses to use sort of general 60s heritage and how much he r- relies on the English brothers creations from the, you know, starting and I guess think two, I think they did their first watch around, I forget, like 2007, 2008. Yeah, and we started, we started 15 years. In, yeah. We started selling it in 2011. But I remember there was like a time when like, like the first watch was like 2006 and then there was a lull before they really yep. got some, some momentum, but I can't wait to see what he does. Same. No, Sam. It's and always I've, it's always interesting when, and sometimes it's not great. Yeah. I've seen. I like. I remember um, there was a time when Ebel was going to <laughs> revolutionize Ebel, and 
you know, they were going to get away from the classic wave, the beluga in the early 2000s. They came out with a series called like X1, I think. And it's one and X2. And it looked like, uh, it looked like, uh, it was like with, you know, I remember all of these talks about the focus groups and the reinvention and all of the attention to detail. And then it kind of looked like, uh, kind of like Chanel's, the Chanel J12's, you know, you know, less inspired third cousin. Once, remo- once removed. Well, let, let's stick with the fact uh, that Davide did not do that watch. No, but my my point is, no one ever feels as alive as yep. when you come out with something. And you know, we can say this. Yep. So, you, you know, as as someone that's come out with over the years, 13, 14 editions, and you do your best. You reach for everything you have, and you you see where it lands. Mm-hmm. And it you're not the you know Davide will not be the one to ultimately decide if it no. was good or bad. It's the the market and the reception and Absolutely. and yeah. the, the in Instagram. That's how we'll find out if it was good or not. Completely agree. And I think one thing that he understands really well, and the Wright brothers understand this too. And I, I mentioned this a moment ago. Did I say the Wright brothers? I meant the English brothers. You did say the Wright brothers. Okay, well, the English brothers. <laughs> they did do the Wright flyer though. Yeah, we were tangentially there is that he understands point of view. And he did this at Tudor with the Black Bay. And I think back when he did it at Tudor, it was like the heritage thing was a little more novel then. Obviously, it's something that we kind of take for granted. It's not novel now. But he also did it at Mont Blanc, which was which followed Tudor. And what was interesting, I, I believe, I'm kind of speaking on record, off record right now. I believe he did the Geosphere, which is that super cool dual time globe he did some really, really interesting things at Mont Blanc with their kind of adventure watches. And I feel like those also had sort of the classic era of exploration vibe to them. And I'm really excited about what he has and what the Bramont team has for us. I believe they're exhibiting the one, at Watches and Wonders. It's going to be their first year mm-hmm. in Watches of Wonders, I think, ever. Mm-hmm. And Bramont exited Basel World before it was cool. Like they right. they pulled out of Basel World <laughs> like two <laughs> like but right like townhouse two, yeah two years before two years before uh, Omega before oh. Breitling and then before obviously the you guys went to a townhouse event you've done the townhouse I've you we've did. been I, I've okay. been to townhouse in New York and okay. I've been to townhouse in London yep and the most memorable thing about townhouse in New York was that's where I remember I got to that was where I got to watch. Um, Adam Cronones uh, in swimming in his, in his underwear at one in the morning in a pool. That was, that was a part of the townhouse. And that's I'm glad where, you mentioned that. And that's where, I was going to say and I saw Adam swim in his skivvies. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> well, I was in that same crowd. place or different place? <laughs> same place. Same yeah. moment. Okay. Same yeah. moment. <laughs> and we were, and that's where I saw my first Helios from a collector that had like a like a hundred a hundred watches. Um, and that's, that's where we saw the S five hundred one where where Vermont. Yep, started right. um and that started doing heritage for the first time yeah. and sort of heritage from an earlier time than their years things mm-hmm. from the the you know since again we they started in 2005 2008 That's but right. they went to 60s and you know they started doing things inspired by like 60s submariners the word vermont and red and they, right. they i remember that era but anyway this is the first time that they've shown up and they're supposed to dramatically be trimming the catalog. Like if Vermont has 
I don't know the exact number, but supposedly if Vermont has 120 styles, they're going to have 40. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I love that for a smaller brand. Yeah, I agree. Because it's really nice when someone has an expectation of like, oh, I want to go see like X watch. And then you get to a dealer who's got a healthy display, but then the person immediately realizes that there aren't, you know, the, the line is so much breadth that there's nothing that remotely resembles it in the case, which is frustration. So yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing this new trimmed line and I can't wait to see what it is. It's, one, trimmed, it's and, one, trimmed and simplified yeah. too, from what I'm, what I've been hearing. And that's also exciting to me too, because I think another thing that Davide understands is, is the brand's sort of market positioning. And I know this, Correct. this is kind of also like a little more inside baseball. We don't have to get too deep in the weeds here, but I will say that like Bremont historically has been a little, all over the map in terms of pricing. They've had these amazing, going back to the Wright brothers, they've had these amazing limited editions that incorporate all of these crazy uh, historical, like literal historical artifacts in the watches, uh, movement developments, all of this stuff. And and because it's been all over the map, the pricing has sort of followed that as well. And my understanding is that David is looking to sort of circle the wagons a little bit with this right. collection. I think collectors are going to, especially this year and last year when we saw a ton of just like, high-end, crazy high-end stuff from so many different brands. I feel like the time is really good for sort of a dyed-in-the-wool tool watch brand to to express itself at a singular price point. I think there's a lot to be really excited about in the coming months. So anyway, I can't wait. I do miss the townhouse. That was fun. Townhouse is great. <laughs> my townhouse story real quick, and this um, we'll end this on Bremont, but uh, was that it was the first time that I saw all of the military because they had a whole kind of room that was dedicated to all of the military right units and squadrons and groups that they have made watches for where they had this book that had all of the dials maybe it was like a series of plates or something that had dozens of dials on it there were hundreds and i was just padding through and some of these are quite known you know if you follow military history or if you follow there were hundreds and very well-known groups that they can't outwardly communicate but it's a large part of their business there's a huge amount of legitimacy wrapped up into it but i was i was really really impressed by that and that uh townhouse was fun shout out adam craniodes sorry about the pool (laughs) sorry to put you on blast i wanted to end this episode on just some new arrivals some little housekeeping um to mention we've been talking a little bit about the g-shock mrg i feel like this is the the purest expression of mr ebay's original vision but done to the highest level, right? So this new titanium MRG reference with now with a resin strap and a titanium clasp, it kind of takes that Mr. eBay's original vision of the G-Shock, which is this like super rugged bulletproof case and like a flexible soft strap. I mean, this is just like the purest, but also highest end expression of it. I love this watch. Have you smelled the strap? (laughs) Does it smell like vanilla? Try it. I'm not smelling anything. Has it been smelled by too many people? It doesn't yeah, smell it's like <laughs> it doesn't smell That's like, how that works. <laughs> it doesn't smell like vanilla, but it smells pleasant. I have a question. Did you guys sell, speaking of smells, did you guys sell Oris when it was yes. when the, they sold the vanilla yes, straps? 100%. Did the whole Oris dismay no. display smell? Oh, it didn't. Interesting. And, it, and those straps did smell good. They did they smelled amazing. I it's funny. This is again forum days. People used to complain about the smell. I love the smell. And anytime I catch a faint whiff of it. My first sort of yeah. nice Swiss dive watch was an Oris TT1. The strap smelled like vanilla. 
I kind of miss that. I think that. that those straps, the ones that smell that way, it originally came from Hublot. I think it was oh, the first one. Hublot, yeah, the Pat Riley era. Oh, yeah, no Hublot. Way. That's those were, those were, I love those Those watches. were the, oh. um, those were like slick back hair, yeah. early 80s. Yeah, late, yeah. You know, Knicks. Pat, this is the Ewing era. No, 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 no. no, no oh, before, before that. Showtime that. Lakers. Yes. Early Lakers. 80s. Oh. Pat Riley in Armani on the sideline calling timeout. He always wore these like 34 to 37 millimeter hublots with vanilla scents. And now at that, my That's incredible. Yeah. Wait, you, how come, okay. How come watch straps don't smell like vanilla anymore? Can we bring I, it back? I, I, Can we do a deadbeat second California dial on a rubber strap that smells like vanilla? Oh, you ask so much. Podcast at topperjewelers.com. If you want to see this happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I've read opinions of people that said they hated the smell. And again, you know, some people like cilantro and some people don't. I, I think it's one of those things where it just triggers something. I I love the smell, honestly. I would love to hear from people that hated the smell, though, to know why. Rob is like digging into this watch trying to figure out why it does. What did it smell like? It, it never smelled like anything. I oh, you just I, made me smell I it on air because you thought I, it was I think you projected yeah. the smell upon <laughs> <Yeah>. the watch. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I looked at it and I looked at how it was okay. molding and I was like, you know... I bet this oh, this watch could have a vanilla scent. It could. And we'd all be better for it. It could and it should. It could and it should. That's a super cool watch. Very comfortable strap. Another new arrival. Really liking this. We talked a little bit about this in our interview with Roman uh, last week. I'll put that in the show notes. This is, of course, the triple ca- the Zenith Chronomaster original triple calendar. Super cool piece. Rob, now that you've finally seen this in the metal, what are your thoughts on this watch? He's examining it. I'm shocked. Yeah, the examining is, it makes is, for great radio. I'm, this is my first time looking at it. So the the, inter, the interesting small thi- it is. the interesting thing about it to me that and the first thing I wanted to look at was was how they did the case back mm. and to look at the the thickness and it is a pretty artful case back. Mm-hmm. The way they're able to conceal the thickness of the movement without messing up the case line, I think, is really well done. I agree. You can't get around the fact that you need a thicker movement to do this type of movement. Than, um, than you would a Chronomaster, traditional Chronomaster sure. original. But the lug-to-lug is so short, and the diameter is already... I can't believe... And we talked about this on the pod uh, in the previous episode. I can't believe how much information is on that dial. And it's 39 mil, I think? 30, I think it's 38. 38? Look, if you love this kind of vintage, mid-century chronograph aesthetic, this is about as good as it gets. I just don't think it gets better. Um, these are super cool. Yeah, super cool piece. Yeah. Last one. We're going to end this on the Ballathon. Longtime Topper customers, Topper fans, and the Topperverse. We're going to wait on that one. <laughs> Longtime fans of Topper and folks who've been following us since the forum days. We're still on the forums, by the way. The still forums, on the forums. Still on the forums. The forums never went away. Those who spent their time exclusively on the forums, this predates Instagram, may remember the Ballathon. Ball is still a brand that, wa- that, that Topper carries. Ball is still Swiss made. Ball is still. Tritium tubes, tritium for those of you. So we've been talking a lot about luminosity on this, on this edition with the Bamford. Um, tritium, instead of superluminova, it's not a paint. It's actually a, a, a tiny glass tube, which has been laser sealed at both ends. And inside the tiny glass tube, there's a radioactive isotope that glows, actual radioactive isotope that glows. It glows for 25 years. That's the half-life of this material. It glows quite bright at the beginning. It tends to fade a little bit towards the, but I don't think we, Ball hasn't been doing tritium watches, tritium tube watches for long enough for us to see sort of what happens. These watches, 
Conversely to like a what like a Seiko, for example, or the or the Bramont, which has paint, which is super bright at the beginning, like you you walk from outside to a dark, you know, a dark room or you shine it with a flashlight and then move the flashlight away. It glows very, very bright immediately and then slowly fades off. Um, tritium tubes, like in this ball watch, glow at a steady rate constantly. So even in the middle of the day, they're glowing. Middle of the night, at least for the next twenty five years. For the next twenty five years, exactly. Um, pretty interesting, and there's a number of interesting applications for tubes like these. Of course, they're in watches. You see them on a lot of outdoor gear, markers, binoculars, and gun sights. Binoculars Correct. and gun sights. It's exactly right. And importing them is quite challenging. And 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 what Ball has done is is done this with much larger tubes. So inherently a larger tube, you can have more gas inside. Larger tubes than most other watch companies. That's correct, yeah. And uh, we've seen this in like Luminox, for example. Luminox kind of was one of the earliest brands that put the gun sight type tubes in a watch dial. Luminox was worn by the Navy SEALs. Fun fact about Luminox, it was founded in San Rafael in Marin County where I live just across the bridge. It is a local company. It is not anymore. It used to be. <laughs> anyway, tritium tubes in the ball watch. I'm holding... One of their newest releases and a new watch to the store, uh, the Engineer 3. The Engineer 3 Outlier. Outlier. This Out is... Outlier? Outlier. Is it Outlier? Outlier. Outlier. I think it's Outlier. We could go to Wikipedia. So outlier. outlier is an outlier pronunciation of out of Outlier? <laughs> I think it's Outlier, but no one hears. And Outlier is the den where the outliers live. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> Engineer 3 Outlier. Outlier, however you prefer to say it. This is... As close to, as I've ever seen, an Explorer 2 GMT with tritium tubes has a rotating ceramic bezel. And as I just learned today, Rob, what makes this movement interesting? Well, we all have white whales <laughs> in life that we chase. And for really three or four years, Ball, I, I, I can't remember exactly when it started, but they, they put a pre-order for a true GMT in year after year, it would be delayed. Mm-hmm. And right. and here it is. It is a true GMT as opposed to a collar GMT, an independent an independent time zone function of the hour hand. So instead of going to the second position and turning the GMT hand in one direction and the date in the other, and then going all the way out to move the minute hand, everything moves when you pull the crown all the way out. And when you put the crown in one position, you're moving the hour hand of the watch. So if you're traveling, all you have to do to change the time zone is to move the hour hand. So you can move the hour hand without actually stopping the watch, which is the gold standard of traveling. Hence traveler GMT as opposed to color GMT. Because you, you get off the plane. And I think if, if you've never owned a Rolex GMT and Explorer, a GMT master, Rolex has done this for many years, but there have been very few other brands. Now there are many, but there were for a long time, very few brands that made true GMTs. I feel like true GMT is not, it's been kind of frowned upon or, well, calling a true GMT, the preferred nomenclature now I think is desk or caller GMT versus traveler GMT. Uh, which you pointed out, Rob. So Russ, did you, you you just learned this distinction? Did, well, what was your? I always understood the distinction of how they worked. Right. I never knew where that term ah. collar GMT came from. I ah, okay. I rather I don't know why in my head I assumed it had something to do with how it was put together. It turns out that collar is, and I'm calling on the phone. That's right. It allows me to 
change the time zone of where I'm talking to so I can keep track of it exactly. as opposed to like, I'm, I'm at, traveling and want to change yeah. the time zone. I'm, I'm at a desk. I'm calling people <laughs> in all kinds of different places around the world. I, I can exactly. change my GMT without... Without I said in my head there was else. like some part inside the watch that looked like a shirt collar. I'm not quite sure why I thought that. <laughs> well, the that. problem was that the problem was marketers who didn't. It was the same same problem as we've seen with helium escape valves. It was marketers who don't know how the thing works, describing the thing incorrectly, and and the thing being described incorrectly is what proliferated. And well, so, was collar actually ever chosen by a brand, or was it more chosen well, by the community? I was thought collar it was, was Wikipedia, chosen by perhaps. The, <laughs> that's what I thought. Collar was chosen by the community because yeah. as a, as a pushback against brands who were saying, "Hey, look at we have a we have a traveler's watch, but it was an Eta two eight nine three based watch, which is actually not great for traveling. That is because when you land at your new time zone." you're adjusting the 24-hour hand, right. not the local time. And you you don't want to adjust the 24-hour hand when you land in a new time zone. You need the 24-hour hand to remain at home time so you know what time it is when your children or your family is, you know, are going to bed. So there are two distinctly different functional approaches to watches that tell time zones in multiple locations. And for me personally, the preference has always been uh, the traveler style. It's just easier... Well, you're a, a man of bit. the world. <laughs> I move around a fair bit. I feel like a traveler GMT works just as well when you're sitting in front of a desk if you set the the UTC or the GMT hand to GMT in London or something. Um, yeah, it's it's been sort of mislabeled for many years by marketers who didn't know the difference. And and for the most part, Rolex always did its GMTs one way. Eta-based brands always did their GMTs the other way. And that was kind of the split. Seiko's GMTs were a so, mix. So let let's go. So in Omega, mm-hmm. that start, late nineties is right. when we saw it. That's exactly with the, right. The fiftieth anniversary of the Seamaster. I was just going to say that. Um, which please bring that watch back. Yeah, <laughs> the, and and the Great White and the Great White, um, which came out a year later. the The fiftieth anniversary was a split. Was a, a black dial with a split That's black right. and steel twenty four hour bezel. And that was an Eta two eight nine three with a module, I believe. And later versions of the Seamaster 300, before it was discontinued with the blue wave dial, same. But it, I believe it was a coaxial escapement. On yeah, that. you were you were waxing, fi- yes. waxing about, about how you wanted yep. um, them to bring back the 253580, which That's is right. the last 300M Seamaster GMT <laughs> from right. like 2005. Um, but we, we do have Planet Ocean GMTs. There are still GMTs in the line. They operate as a traveler. So Omega's right. been doing this for a Correct. long, long That's time. Right. It's but not we a should, quick set date, but it's a quick set local hour. We right. should do. We should probably do a roll call of the of the of the true GMTs in the store. I know we have uh, the Longines Spirit. The Longines Zulu. Zulu Time, mm-hmm. yes. That is a true GMT. The dive one? The, uh, the Longines Hydra Conquest GMT. 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 Yeah. That's right. Um, and that's you a- brought up the, the Seiko Presage. Exactly, the Seiko the Presage Seiko, as well. Seiko Presage. So if you're looking at Seiko, um, look at Seikos and wondering, is this a true GMT or is it not? It's not really price point dependent. Um, the Presages have it. And what's interesting is um, they, they use, a, I think, a, a sub-dial mm-hmm. to convey the date. That's right. They use the date on a little sub-dial, so there's no right. cutout window. Right. So other watches, like the SPB 381, the Mini Marine Master Green, that was so incredibly popular, um, that is not a true GMT. That is a collar GMT. That's right. The and Seiko 5s, though, the Seiko 5 GMT is a collar style. Those are all collar. So, again, so collar the Mar- style, Mini Marine Master's collar. 
That's right. Yeah, the crown Alpinist in the first position. Mm-hmm. The crown Sorry. in the first position is what adjusts the 24-hour hand. Sorry, I interrupted you yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. But I believe there's a quartz version, a solar quartz that is a true, that is a traveler GMT within oh. Seiko's line. I believe we have those. We might have to bring that in because <laughs> I, I don't think, in. I don't think we have that. Um, yeah, I think, I think to my knowledge that is it. Oh, and Grand Seiko, of course. Grand Seiko's are all true, true. Um, That's right. They're all Traveler, Traveler GMTs. GMTs, correct. And some of the quartz watches also, like Omegas, have the quick set hour hand. So they all do. They all do. Okay. Thank um, you. So, so for instance, the Spring Drive GMTs do, the High Beat GMTs do, and the 9F all all are true GMTs. What, what would you call a Glasutza Regional Cosmopolite? That's oh, man. kind of neither and kind of is one. So if we're talking about the Cosmopolite or if we're talking about the Aquaterra, um, the Aquaterra World Time. Yeah. I mean, even though those do not have, I think those still operate under the the same principle of everything. Yeah, they moving, go both ways. Of everything yeah. moving forward. Yeah. And then a quick hour to right. go back. You've set the Cosmopolite yeah, more than me. Ways, for sure. So the you, Cosmopolite is quite a bit more sophisticated, and I believe is it a true? It is a true World yeah. Timer. Uh, the Aquaterra World Timer is it a GMT just like a GMT with a World Correct. Time. Sort of uh, disc kind of place, but you can it. go both ways on the Cosmopolite. Yes, and you, and you set your new time zone without touching yes. your existing one. So yeah, yeah, the Cosmopolite. We'll have to do. We should do a whole video. We could do a whole podcast on that. I'll find it in the show notes. Russ did describe how to set it. Um, that's a fun. <laughs> that's a fun little bit. I think our most scintillatingly exciting it is, episode ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is full stop. It is the most sophisticated world timer watch in the store. I would say. Um, but that being said, collar desk GMT versus traveler GMT, one is not better than the other. I think it just kind of boils down to your personal preference. And going back to this ball, we have a traveler style GMT, which ball has been trying to do for many years. Very handsome looking one. Uh, there's also really well proportioned. This looks like it's about 40 or 42 millimeters. Mm-hmm. Has a cyclops over the date, ceramic bezel, independently adjustable hour hand. So it's a traveler. This is super cool. Uh, it's available in black and white. I love this watch. Um, I also love talking about GMT watches. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little bit since we've really wanted to make having a, a good ball offering something that people see every yeah, day yeah. when they come in the store. But they also have some chronographs that they've come out with recently right. that I think are really attractive. So we've I've actually uh, reprioritized ball in our, in our visual display. So w- when people come in, I think they can expect to see a, a right. bigger offering. And this watch, I think, is really unique uh and we're bringing this in in several colors i think this watch is worth looking at just to put a bow on this i believe the first watch i ever bought from topperjewelers.com was a ball space master x loom ah. which was kind of a nutty watch i remember that watch well <laughs> it's crazy uh engineer hydrocarbon it had a big 12 three and a six and a nine mm-hmm. and they yeah. the arabic markers were made up of tubes Multiple and then tubes. Each multiple tubes, thank you. And then each of the individual minute markers on the dial had tubes that were sunk into the dial. They, they were, were different colors, the dial, all different colors. And then the bezel was fully loomed. The watch was nuts, yeah. absolutely nuts. Everything different color. It was a it was a fireworks show on the wrist. What, what I remember about that watch was the sales rep at the time telling us that he went to go see a movie. And the person next to him asked him to cover the watch because it was too bright. I believe it. I definitely had to put a cover over it when it was on the nightstand. Um, this new Engineer 3 outlier is quite, 
quite bright. Maybe not ex loom bright, but uh, super cool piece. I've I've always had a soft spot for ball watches, so I'm excited to see this in the store, and uh, excited to see the offering, fellas. We covered some ground today. California dials, loom, lost treasures. Thanks, as always, for taking the time. Listener, thank you again for joining us, as always. If you have questions for the guys, uh, questions for me, questions for the podcast, you can email us, podcast at topperjewelers.com. Russ, Rob, always a treat to have you. Thanks, Cheers. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, listener. We'll see you out there.